It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you can now listen on the iHeartRadio app. And uh, it's also a pleasure to welcome those listeners on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. Always a pleasure to welcome you as well. And it is also a pleasure to welcome to the show, and, and, and to some degree welcome back to the show, uh, some guests. I certainly feel like I know at least a couple of them because I've been emailing them back and forth for some time now. But uh, Dr. Hannah Harrison was on the show previously. That created the opportunity for us to talk about other things. And I think part of that was because when I saw Hannah's setup online, she had this great microphone, she looked great online, and I went, wow. And then she told me about this thing that they have going on called Coastal Roots Radio. And I went, really? So I said, that sounds like something we should have you guys back on the show to talk about. And of course, today we now have with us not only uh, Dr. Hannah Harrison, we have Phil Loring as well as Emily De Sosa back on the show to talk about Coastal Roots, Coastal Roots Radio, and all the things that they have in association with that, which kind of sprang up through COVID-19. So it's a great pleasure to welcome Phil Loring. Hannah Harrison and Emily De Sosa to the show. Welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for having us, David. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So, as I said, you know, when I spoke with Hannah and she told me about this Coastal Roots Radio, I wanted to know more. I thought it was really interesting because you guys are associated with the University of Guelph. Would someone like to just tell me a little bit more about that and how it all got started? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to um, give you some of that background, and thanks for having us on, David. I mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Coastal Roots, as a project, sort of sprung from my own desire. I, I've been working in coastal communities as a researcher for a number of years, as have, has, has Hannah. Um, and I put together, when I first came to the University of Guelph, I put together the Coastal Roots program. Uh, it's primarily funded. It's a grant funded by the federal government, uh, as well as at, by the Errol Food Institute at the university. And I started Coastal Roots to create a way for people in coastal communities to connect, to share the stories of what they were working on, the challenges they're facing, and to learn from one another. Hmm. And we were very happy that it was successful. And, and you know, the goal was really storytelling. Uh, whatever media it would take, whether it was photography, film, hmm. podcasts, we knew we were going to do a podcast mm-hmm. and we knew that Coastal Roots Radio was going to be a centerpiece. Uh, but really, the, the original mission was to create a meeting place. Uh, a place for telling and sharing stories and connecting people. And then Coastal Roots Radio, as I said, we knew we wanted to do a podcast. We had on the team this interest, and we really appreciate the the podcasting as a way to tell stories, but we didn't know what the story we wanted to tell was right away. Uh, and then COVID hit, uh, and then we started to see the, the myriad impacts on fisheries, small-scale mm. fisheries in mm. particular, of the pandemic, and the light bulb sort of went on, and we realized this is the story that we need to tell. This is how we start. Coastal Roots Radio. Hmm. Neat. And, and Phil, you are the uh, principal investigator of Coastal Roots. And as you mentioned, Ariel, you're the aerial chair in food, in food policy and society at the University of Guelph. Now, before we get to Emily, and, I, and I'll introduce her in a sec, uh, I just would like to go back to say, once you had this, this seed and you, you wa- knew you wanted to start this program, uh, Coastal Roots and Coastal Roots Radio, uh, how did you put the team together? How did that come and how did that develop? 
Well, a lot of it was, um, you know, just sort of the good graces of timing. Mm. Um, I had worked uh, many years ago. I worked with Hannah Harrison uh, at the University of Alaska. On uh, We collaborated on research mm. on fisheries there. Right. Uh, and then I moved on to a faculty position in Canada, and she moved on to get her PhD at mm. the University of Norway. Okay. Uh, and the timing was just right. When I, when I was making the move to University of Guelph in, in 2018, and I knew I was going to start this project, I, uh, it was right about the time that Hannah was finishing her mm. dissertation and mm. was freeing up to work on something new. Uh, and I knew that we both wanted to work on, you know, similar things, similar kinds of research. And so, you know, the pieces just fit. Okay, great. So that's them. Now, Emily is, is also part of the team. And I noticed there's quite a few other people also involved with, with this. But Emily, I understand you like to uh, make lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this podcast has definitely been... Um, a bright, a bright spot for me over the last year and having the opportunity to work on this. I, uh, I was a new master's student at the start of 2019 and um, Hannah and I had the opportunity to go to Portland to the local catch summit in October where, uh, and that's where we met a lot of the folks that we speak to on the podcast. And I think that was really my introduction to, uh, to community supported fisheries and alternative seafood networks and just this whole world of fishing and seafood that Phil and Hannah are far more uh, familiar with than I am. I don't come from that background, but mm-hmm. I was interested in it for my for my master's. And it, it was, I was definitely, I will say, thrown into the deep end with this podcast, um, but it's been a, a really rewarding learning experience for me. When you say you were thrown into the deep end, uh, what do you mean by that from the technological end or from f- what, what kind of aspects are you referring to? Yeah, so I don't have any, prior to, to this podcast, I didn't have any experience with podcasting uh, right. specifically. I have interest in in other forms of science communication and, you know, writing blog posts and using social media mm. and, and things like that. But I'd never uh, experimented with this this podcasting method. And yeah, one day I think, like, like Phil said, you know, COVID happened and we kind of realized that this was an opportunity, or I should say Phil and Hannah <laughs> realized this was an opportunity and, and called me up one day and said, you know, like, we want to do this project and do you want to be part of it and I said yeah absolutely I'm like super interested and um, yeah we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants as things were happening like trying to like like you said from the technology standpoint for Mm. myself trying to figure out how these mics work Mm. and how to get uh, the proper audio set up and and tinkering with zoom and whatnot Um, and then yeah just kind of figuring it out as we go in terms of like who we were speaking to and building a story and and tracking the changes you you turned this show to some degree uh, with by writing an academic paper and then making those presentations um, uh, to a number of conferences. Yeah, it's been a really great like launching pad, I would say. Mm. Um, from a student perspective, it's like you said, it's been a really great thing to present at conferences, especially, um, you know, this podcast started fairly early on in my master's. And so I didn't really have much like data to present in like the traditional sense of presenting research at an academic conference, but we had a lot of data from this podcast and a lot of interesting findings um, to present from, from here. And so it was a, it was a unique way to sort of get into the the academic conference scene early, even though I didn't have, you know, a lot of my thesis uh, done at that point Um, and just be able to share the results from the podcast and yeah, use it as a launching pad to get myself out there at conferences to, to network. Um, and yeah, it's a nice thing to kind of be able to describe myself as now, you know, I, I am a master's student and now I'm also um, a podcast host, which is nice to be able to say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess you nece- wouldn't necessarily have put those two things together uh, before COVID perhaps, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you for that. 
Now, as I mentioned, you're all associated with the University of Guelph. Can you each describe a little bit about your your work that you do there? Phil, Phil, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, as you said, David, I hold the Errol Chair in Food Policy and Society at the University of Guelph. I'm, I'm an anthropologist by training, and uh, most of my research looks at community food systems and food security and environmental change and sustainability. Uh, over the years, I've worked in a number of different parts of the world on those issues. By and large, uh, you know, the vast majority has been in coastal communities, fishing communities, but I've also worked uh, in the prairies with farmers and ranchers dealing with issues of water and wetlands and conflict. Uh, and so, you know, so I'm a, I'm a faculty member. I'm an associate professor. I teach. I do research. I, I have a, I've been building a lab of really wonderful people that I work with, that it, which includes Dr. Harrison and Emily. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really, really wonderful place to do this work. I mean, even though we're not coastal Per se, by many people's definitions, of course, we are right close. We are right by the Great Lakes, which mm. have really important fisheries and lots mm-hmm. of coastline, and are really important culturally and economically to Canada. So perhaps you could think of them as, and often we talk, call them Canada's fourth coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's what I do here. It's, it's mm. a bit of a mix of research and teaching. But your comment about not necessarily on the coast, your all of you, uh, your work takes you to the coast. I guess that's the that's the point there, right? Yes, and and by design, um, I I feel more human when I'm by the coast, or at least when I get to see it once or twice a year. Uh, love, I think, and this is true for all of us. Love being on the water. Love working with people in in coastal settings on fishing boats and so mm. forth. Maybe that's why I was interested in having you guys on the show. I feel the same way. Hannah, tell me a little bit about uh, your work, please. Sure. So uh, I my work really focuses um, on the Coastal Roots project itself. I'm the science director for this project, um, but. To slightly to the side of that, though closely related, I also am interested in the human dimensions of fisheries, um, particularly commercial fisheries, and also the way that we conserve or enhance or try to restore fisheries, um, usually through stocking and through hatchery programs. So my past research, my PhD really focused on the hatchery end of things. Um, And as Phil had mentioned earlier, we used to to work in Alaska on Alaskan fisheries. And I do still uh, kind of retain some, some research in that area in the Gulf of Alaska today. And the, the work that we're really interested in now is is trying to link together all of the ways that people are working on the Great Lakes and intersecting with fisheries. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, particularly in a commercial aspect, because the Great Lakes truly are a pretty phenomenal commercial fishery and really, I think, underappreciated and not very visible in, in Ontario, even though um, it is one of the largest in the world. So that's, that's kind of the focus of what we're doing these days. Mm. Um, and I... Well, maybe I'll leave it there and I'll I'll let Emily take over. Okay. Just before we go to Emily, I'd just like to ask you a follow-up question because you, I think it ties in with that. And that is, what kind of, what kind of shape are the Great Lakes in these days? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think people have some really mixed and sometimes a little bit outdated views of where the lakes are at. So the Great Lakes, I think, as many people know, have undergone some pretty radical change uh, since European contact in this area in the Great Lakes Basin. And they've really gone through transitions of being very bountiful um, in terms of fisheries species and species diversity to being extremely polluted, to being overrun by invasive species. I think most people Mm -hmm. are familiar with the different species of mussels that Mm -hmm. have really had an impact on the lakes, as well as other fish. Um, People who have lived around the lakes for a while might remember when there were huge uh, swarms or schools of alewife that died and that would pile up on the beaches of major cities. Um, But to 
today the lakes look really different and they've really, really benefited from a lot of strong regulatory uh, framework that has that has essentially disallowed the kind of rampant pollution that we used to see earlier in the 20th century. Um, and there's a lot of uh, a kind of new balance being struck. Um, we do still see a lot of native fish species on the decline and they're, they're really struggling with non-native species that have been introduced um, through the seaway and through ballast water, um, through through large ships that pass through the lakes. Um, but by and large, the fish in the lakes that are uh, popular for human consumption are safe to eat in moderation. Um, and, and Health Ontario and Health Canada makes recommendations about that that you can find online. Um, and the, the fisheries are still quite robust. And there's quite a number of uh, small scale fishers who are often family based and who have done the, the, these fishing activities for multiple generations um, in all of the lakes uh, right now. And including that includes a lot of First Nation fisheries that mm. are, are actively engaged not only in commercial harvest, but also caring for fish in ways that support their cultural and their food security. Um, and their well-being uh, within their their First Nation or within their traditional territories. So quite a diversity of ways that the lakes are being used and that people have these relationships with fish, um, often mostly through the diet, but certainly in other ways as well. And that the lakes in general have really become um, better than I think what a lot of people remember. I think you actually work with some First Nations, don't you? Yeah, so our, our team here in the, the in the Coastal Roots Project and also in Phil's lab, the Conservation of Change Lab, um, have some really wonderful relationships with several First Nations along Lake Huron and Georgian Bay and get to explore those, those traditional ways of doing fish cultivation and, and blending together Indigenous knowledge with um, kind of Western technologies, especially within hatchery settings. Mm. Uh, nice. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is mercury. We hear a lot about fish absorbing mercury. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one of the things that people kind of forget when it comes to fisheries is that fish, by and large, especially from the Great Lakes, are a wild food. And we really don't, as, a, as humans, we really don't eat many other wild foods unless we are living in places or come from traditions and cultures where wild foods are still a big part of the diet. So there are other species that also uh, go through this process of what's called bioaccumulation, where um, mercury or other heavy, heavy metals or toxins can be in the sediment or can be in the water, and it's consumed by zooplankton or other um, small animals. Mm. And those small animals then get big, eat, eaten by a mm. larger animal, and so on and so on. So you have things like orca whales that then have a much higher concentration because they've eaten so many little bits of that toxin within all of their prey species. And in the fish in the Great Lakes, fortunately, most of the fish that we are eating, so say a walleye or a pickerel or a yellow perch, they're only a few years old when they're harvested to eat. That's kind of the, the perfect time to mm. eat them is just they're a few years old. So they really haven't had time to accumulate any of those toxins in their body. They're also not very fatty fish, and those toxins tend to accumulate in fat cells. So we, we don't see that being a big problem with those species. But if you look at something like a lake trout, they can uh, live to be much older, you know, 20 plus years. And so in that case, that fish has had a much longer time to accumulate those things and therefore becomes uh, by, you know, health code standards unsafe for most people to eat. So mm. um, we, we, I think there's strong advisories that you shouldn't eat some of those really big trophy fish that you see people pull out of the lakes. They're, you know, very impressive to look at, but they've just had too much time to accumulate those things. And so they be, their meat becomes unsafe. 
Um, and again, I would I would strongly recommend that people look at the official guidance on that and, and not just my opinion here. Um, but that's that's kind of how we end up with that problem and, and why some fish are safe and some aren't. Right. OK, well, thank you for that. Emily, back to you. I had asked both Phil and, and Hannah about, uh, you know, what they do at the university. Uh, you're still a student. What is it that you hope to uh, focus on, what you're focusing on now and, and what do you hope to do in the future? Yeah, so I guess broadly when I started my uh, my master's program, my interest um, and still is my interest is in seafood uh, for food security and the role of marine foods in uh, securing global food security and livelihoods in coastal communities. Um, and so that's what connected me with Phil and interested me in um, in his research program. And then I'm going to refer to the local catch summit again that we attended because I think that was really like the catalyst for a lot of the work that I've been working on throughout uh, throughout my master's program. Because um, obviously seafood for food security is a little bit of a broad topic, especially to tackle in a master's degree. Mm. And um, having the opportunity to attend the local catch summit and speaking with some of the fishermen and the community supported fishery operators there. I think really helped me to narrow my focus. Um, And so now my thesis is looking at a lot of these community supported fisheries and direct sales models uh, within the seafood industry in North America and sort of how um, basically I'm trying to understand why people pursue these models um, in uh, in relation to or um, rather than participating in the quote unquote traditional method of seafood distribution um, and what challenges they face in operating these models. And so it's been um, it's been really neat. I definitely um, I actually like was totally new to the whole community supported fishery world when I attended that summit. And I've learned a lot um, about the industry over the last couple of years. And yeah, so that's been my focus um, recently is the direct marketing models and alternative seafood networks in North America. Do you remember what first interested you in this this sort of area of study? Yeah. Um, so I uh, I've always like loved the ocean. Um, I like Phil said like I love being on the water mm. um, and just you know being being near the ocean. Um, and so I've always had like a marine conservation um, interest or passion. And my family is actually from the Azores Islands off of Portugal. And so seafood has always been like a huge part of our of our culture and of my identity and just you know family gatherings and whatnot. Um, I've always been uh, interested in seafood. And yeah, consider it really part of my identity. And so um, throughout my undergrad, I was also studying environmental issues and I learned a lot about um, different marine issues and different threats to the oceans. And I was kind of interested in this intersect of where marine conservation and seafood production met and basically trying to understand how we could continue to produce seafood because I, <laughs> I'm i not really interested in, in not eating seafood anymore. And I do believe there is a way to, to eat it sustainably mm. um, and to support coastal communities. And so I, wanted to yeah explore the intersection of seafood production and marine conservation now you've done this show uh, coastal roots radio you've had many guests on over the past year you uh, looked at stories what what have you what have you learned what have you each learned from doing this series of shows that maybe you you were surprised to learn or you you didn't think that that would is what you you would find out about by doing this phil do you want to start sure happy to and well you know I think you know, going into this, because I've worked with with fisher folk for a long time, I've it's always been clear to me how resilient and adaptable mm. they are in the face of change. But I I do have to say I was really struck by um, the way that 
small-scale fishers responded rapidly and effectively uh, and sort of rallied around their values for small-scale fishing and community to, to keep food reaching people when they could. When, and, and we have an, actually a new research paper that just released today about this. But when, when the global international seafood markets were locked up in the early months of the pandemic uh, and, and, and things stopped moving because of trade blockages to China mm-hmm. and so forth, uh, the way that you know, local alternative seafood networks, community-supported fisheries, for example, they kept, they kept finding ways to get people seafood. Uh, and and they mobilized with their values and and made sure they were doing it in a way that people could afford, given that people were maybe not working, mm. um, stuck at home, and 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 so, you know, as I said, I've I've always sort of understood in an academic sense the resilience in in these communities and the adaptability, but but seeing it unfold real time was was really uh, remarkable, awe inspiring, perhaps. Mm. It gave me a, a, an increased amount of respect for. Mm. Uh, for you know, it, these are not just people out and about trying to make a buck. They're mm. they're fishing for food. They're fishing mm. for community. Uh, they're fishing as a tradition, uh, and they're fishing in a way that they you know really keeps. They want to stay mindful about the the health of the resource, the sustainability of the mm. fishery, and also the sustainability from a social perspective of their families and their communities and and right. the the region. Right. Okay. H- Hannah. Sure. Yeah, it's such a good question. I think one of the things that struck me most in talking to guests, you know, we were able to feature guests from all over North America, as well as uh, the other parts of the world. And consistently, as Phil says, the the resilience of small scale fishers to kind of adapt on the fly was extremely remarkable to me, but perhaps even more so how similar the problems that they were facing were across all of these very kind of radically different places and Mm. different kinds of fisheries that people who are doing shellfish aquaculture and people who are lobster fishing and people who are salmon fishing in Alaska or tuna fishing, they are all experiencing really similar types of obstacles, particularly in the regulatory environment. And I think that that's pretty remarkable because it also suggests that we can do something about that in my mind, that we can uh, focus clear and as, and contextually flexible policy on these different fisheries and, and in the way that we manage them to help fishermen overcome uh, what we see as somewhat unnecessary red tape, unnecessary regulation, or I should say maybe overly arduous regulation is that, you know, obviously food safety is important. Mm. Sustainable fisheries are important. Right. Um, but that's, that was really surprising to me to just see how similar the stories were mm. almost to the T we would, we, as we were developing the podcast, we would read an, a newspaper article that would talk about some, some fishery in some specific place and the challenge they were facing. And then we would do all of our interviews for that week. And that's, same story would pop up hmm. in totally different places, almost hmm. verbatim in some places. And that was just amazing. It was, mm. it was kind of living in the twilight zone of, <laughs> of, as Phil said, watching this unfold mm. in real life and being, wow, I can't believe how similar this is. Mm. Wow. Okay, thanks. Emily? Yeah, um, I, I guess to, to echo what Phil and Hannah have said, like, it was really surprising to hear just how quickly uh, people were able to respond and the creative ways in which they were adapting and remaining optimistic, I will say also throughout everything was really, um, was really uplifting for us. Um, And something that I found like particularly, I don't know if surprising is the right word, um, but I was really happy about was that 
even as things were changing so rapidly um, and these small scale fishermen and, and CSF operators were, you know, like <laughs> just doing everything and scrambling, trying to respond and adapt to this crisis around us, that they still prioritized uh, these conversations with us and made made time to chat with us. And I think it was a real testament to, um, you know, their passion for storytelling as well, and that they were just as eager as we were to to get these stories out there and to share the good work that they were doing. And so I was I was really happy with with how people responded to the podcast and how easy it was to to get people, you know, again, despite how crazy the world was, especially in those first few months um, to come back and talk to us week after week um, and make the time to share their stories. Okay. Uh, and one last quick question that uh, just came to mind, and that is all of you are involved with the university, as I pointed out, and you are all associated with the work that you love, that you are researching, that the kind of things that you're doing, and you're, you're gaining something from this, uh, from this series that you're involved with. What do you think that it is that you are giving back to the community? I could start. I mean, I, the reason that I wanted to start Coastal Roots to begin with was not to be a storyteller per se, but to help people tell stories that they thought were important and that they wanted other people to hear. And and so I really hope with with co- what we've done in this first season with Social Fishton saying and all the other things that we're producing through Coastal Roots, I hope that we're being successful as that, that we're creating an open and friendly community around that's enabling people in coastal communities to tell the stories that they mm-hmm. think need to be he- heard yeah. uh, so that whether it's a policy solution or whether they need just to talk to somebody else with a little bit more expertise, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is very much a community of practice in right. small scale fisheries is just one example. And the, you know, the ability to tell that story and to be heard and to get feedback and to find support from somebody with similar experiences can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully we're, we're facilitating that. Okay. Uh, does anyone, Hannah or Emily, either of you want to add anything to that? Sure. I'll, I'll say I strongly agree with what Phil has just said. Um, and, and I think that it's so important that that specific detail that we are trying to help other people tell their stories as opposed to tell the story for them. And that's so critical because all researchers, as I mentioned earlier, bring their own lens to their research. And so no matter how accurate I might try to be in telling someone else's story, uh, Ultimately, it is going to be filtered through the way I see the world. And so by giving people this platform in which to share their voice, you know, obviously we are still involved as the narrators of each episode Mm -hmm. um, and choosing which clips to play and, and how we shape that. But ultimately, it's the listener gets to hear the voice of the person who owns that story. And that's really, I think, such a unique way to be able to do scholarly work because often it's just all on paper and the the quality and the spirit of someone's voice is really lost when put into text. So that's, that's really what I hope that we've been able to do with this. Okay. Uh, Emily, is there anything you wanted to add? I don't know if I can say uh, anything better than that. I think okay. those summed up yeah, our goals perfectly. Okay. Well, thank you all very much for taking the time to join me on the show and share stories about the Coastal Roots and Coastal Roots Radio. And I just want to add, you know, this was, uh, as I said, uh, a conversation that came up from talking with Hannah earlier. Well, I think there's another interview that's going to happen, and that ties in with Phil, because Phil, as we didn't mention, is also an author, and he has a book he sent me. And I've been reading and I cannot wait to have Phil on the show to talk about that, finding our niche toward a restorative human ecology. And it's been fascinating so far, Phil. I want to thank you for sending it to me. And it's full of great information. Great. I look forward to it. 
Okay. Well, thank you all once again for taking the time to join me on the show and all the best in the future with everything you guys are doing. Thanks so much for having Thanks. us, David. You bet. Take care. Phil Loring, Dr. Hannah Harrison, and Emily DeSosa, and they were on the show talking about Coastal Roots and Coastal Roots Radio. That's this part of the show. Don't go away. We'll be back with more right here on Moment of Truth right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download not only the Radio Player Canada app, but now we are on iHeartRadio as well. So take us anywhere. And it is also a pleasure to welcome to the show those listeners on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. It's a pleasure to welcome you. And of course, if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, hey, all the better. Welcome to the show. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show today a couple of musicians. In fact, uh, one of the particular musicians we are, are going to be speaking with is someone we've had on the show. Boy, it's got to be over a year and a half almost. But Mr. Chris Burkett is here with us, and he's here because he is involved with the artist that we are going to be talking to today as well, Bridget Melody. And so it's a pleasure to have them both on the show. And before we get into talking about Bridget's new CD that has just come out, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Bridget. She is a Toronto-based indie folk singer-songwriter and visual artist. Now, it'd be great to talk to her a little bit about that. How does she manage to do all that? And certainly, it must be great to have all that free time to find those times to do music and visual arts. <laughs> but she is armed with a distinctive vocal style. Her material captivates audiences with engaging songs and uh, stirs the soul and challenges the conscious and elevates the spirit. She draws from her indigenous roots, which are Mi'kmaq from the East Coast and her mother's lineage, and it's an integral part of Bridget's melody and artistry that comes from her deep love and respect for Mother Earth. The poetic imagery of nature's profound beauty and power serves as a wellspring of creativity that's permeating every word and emotion of every song and every breaststroke of every painting. And uh, so she, as I mentioned, in collaboration with producer and arranger Chris Burkett, has recently completed her debut album entitled Spirit Dance. And she's now even starting to work on a second follow-up album called Spirit Song. So it is a pleasure to welcome Bridget to the show. Hey, Bridget. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, of course, uh, the other side of this uh, production team, uh, yourself, is Chris Burkett, who, as I mentioned, was on the show. He was on some time ago with his own works, of course, an award-winning music producer, singer-songwriter, and engineer and performer. Uh, you can find him quite busy on all the social platforms if you look up Chris Burkett. And, of course, he has collaborations with mega-talents, such as Buffy St. Marie, Sinead O'Connor, Talking Heads, Dexie's Midnight Runners, Bob Galdock, Quincy Jones, the list goes on and on. And he has been part of albums selling over $100 million worth of music, and he's uh, earned a Polaris Prize music, Juno Award, Juno nominations and three Ampex Golden Reel Awards for excellence in mu the music business. So Chris, a pleasure to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks. Dave. It's a real pleasure to be here too. 
So, uh, listen, before we get into listening to some of Bridget's music, and of course, uh, Chris, you've got your own new song out as well, uh, Precious Love. We're going to talk about that, and I understand that's doing really well. How did you guys get together? How did this, uh, how did this team uh, form up? Bridget? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I think just all the stars came into right alignment, and I was able to connect with Chris you know, um, during this pandemic, Mm. I, you know, I, I, um, was fortunate to get the grant. I got that just two weeks before the lockdown, the first lockdown. And then, um, you know, just things went awry and I didn't, uh, you know, people were not able to, we weren't able to get together to work. So my, you know, original plans fell through, which of course was a, blessing and meant to be because it led me to connecting with Chris and our creative partnership I think is explosive and it's just you know magical and it's also you know I've always wanted to work with Chris but I never thought it honestly it was in the realm of possibility Mm. so I mean 2020 is a year most people want to forget but for me it's just it's been really a crazy ride it's been incredible you said this was a it was magical what what made it feel magical to you we're so much in sync you know with our message you Mm. know we you know we share the same values we care about you know humanity and nature and just wanting to put forth you know a positive message that Mm. is encouraging and uplifting and you know to restore balance Mm. and you know that is that is encapsulizes the the whole message of spirit dance it's about living in harmony with the spirit of love you Mm. know and out of that there is intense joy and freedom and that is you know you know we need that kind of positivity in the world right now so and and chris is is right in sync with that with his music too so it was it's just a perfect match you yeah. know creative partnership right so chris you you just heard what uh bridget was saying there what would you say about one her comments and and two uh, about uh when you first met bridget what uh, what enticed yeah. you about her well, I should. From I think we met through Indie Week, didn't we, Bridget? I can't remember now. So. We didn't. We we didn't meet. <laughs> I just, you know, I knew of you, and um, I, I think I mentioned before. I heard, I heard your song. Um, you performed "Wake Up," and it it blew me away, and it was was so similar to you know the message of my songs, and I I thought then you know it would be so great to collaborate with you. Oh, yeah. That's right, like Rise Up and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I know. I actually Laura Fernandez from uh, CBC Jazz that she reached out to you on my behalf to see if you were. Oh, that's thank you, it's Laura Fernandez. That's right. Yeah, it was a it was a really great meeting because I you know you know as as you probably know I've I'm very into the using the the universal language of music to convey truth, beauty, and goodness on this planet. I think that's our job as artists and of course uh, Buffy St. Marie does this you know and that's why I've been working with her for so many years and then when I when I came across Bridget it was like it's, it's, it was so uh, synchronized with with what yeah. Buffy was trying to do um, and uh, and I think that, that, uh, Bridget's songs carry that message of uh, the beauty the, the potential beauty of looking at the 
the earth that we live in and the, and the cosmos that we live in and how important it is for us to realize that we're part of that we're part of that web of life we don't we don't own it we we're we're an integral part of it and i believe that if we can through our music com- communicate to humanity the importance of realizing that it would uh, in itself make a huge difference in, in the in the uh, what's going on on this planet you know because we we see so much um, negativity you know conflict and and uh, uh, fear and doubt and all the stuff that we're saddled with and uh, <clears throat> it's the it's the artist's job and and Bridget does it superbly to capture that that beauty and re- remind us of that situation remind us of our duty as artists to convey truth and beauty but also to, to help everybody help everybody to get that uh, seed of waking up which is so essential for right now in history so so it's, it is time for us to wake up and uh, you know both I and Bridget will uh, are doing that in our music and trying to help that process mm. Uh, Bridget, you you mentioned both the the Mi'kmaq, that's East Coast-based indigenous. Were you raised on the East Coast? My mother is from uh, New Brunswick, Mm. and uh, I would spend, growing up, I would spend all my summers there. So, yeah, it did influence me greatly. You know, I I love, you know, the culture there, the beauty of, of, uh, of nature. It just resonates. And and now going back to this collaboration between yourself and and Chris, do you guys remember the first song you started to work on together? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, think- we did it in the you know it was a pandemic, right? So we had to be very efficient and yes. careful. So we basically, I just we we met during when everything was. Uh, open again and we were allowed to get together so that window of opportunity we got together and i just did lay down all the songs for him and Mm. then and then chris went away and did his magic Mm. and uh, that was pretty much it like you know chris is the one stop shop guy he does it all right right and uh, he made it was a very easy process very enjoyable yeah, I, mean, it's, uh, I have to say that, you know, in a perfect world, uh, it would have been uh, to hope we on the next recording, we can actually cohabit a little bit more personally. Mm. Cause yeah. that's the, mm-hmm. But what, but, uh, but so what we, you know, as Bridget explained, we, we managed to capture uh, all 11 songs. Uh, in fact, it's 10 initially, and then we added an 11th one, <laughs> which, uh, for, <laughs> which Bridget can tell you why, because uh, that's an interesting story in itself. But uh, we managed to capture all that stuff at, uh, in Bridget's apartment and with safe social distancing. You know, she was like over six feet away, and I captured her on my Pro Tools system. So just an acoustic guitar and voice, very simple, mm. uh, just the, the, the essence of the song and mm. music. And yeah. then, uh, luckily, because uh, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, we didn't actually need need to have a team around us, which we couldn't have done anyway mm-hmm. at, at that time. So I managed to uh, put the build the universe around her her song and her voice and everything, and uh, it worked out really well. Considering it's a COVID recording, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's exceptional. Yeah, I think that's going to be a new term, isn't it? COVID recording. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many there are, but we we done one anyway, and it's a good one. Yes. Okay, well then, in in retrospect and looking back at it, is there one song that you would would like to start with out of the out of the new album? Um, well, I like, I like what do you think, Chris? <laughs> uh, well, I think you could. Um, uh, well, for me, I really like "Rise Up" because it's it's a, it's a call to action song, you know, which I'm very into. You know, I think we need we need that kind of 
song. Uh, but I also like the uh, Spirit Dance, which is in brackets, It Is Love. Um, I mean, it's hard to choose because they're all really good and really special in, in different ways. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if I think you could play Rise Up if you have it. That'd be mm -hmm. a good, good starter because it's, it's also a good, it's a good expression, you know. It's a good start start of something. Okay. Uh, Bridget, let's uh, let's yeah. give this a little bit of a spin. Do you want to talk? Uh, do you want to say anything about it just before we give it a bit of a listen? It is a call to action song to rise up, wake up. But it's it's uh, it's for me, the overarching message is freedom, letting go and just busting out of all the you know, the toxic and negative things that we cling to. And we're all guilty of that. And um, so just finding the courage to actually break free of, you know, of the, the chains that bind us and and just soaring. All right. Let's give a little bit of a listen to Rise Up right here on Element FM. Can you see the lightning flashing? Can you see the walls come crashing down, down? Can you hear the thunder? There's a little bit of Rise Up here on Element FM, and that is from Bridget Melody's new CD. And uh, it is a pleasure to have both uh, Bridget on the show along with Chris Burkett, her producer, as we talk about some of the songs that they put together for this new album that uh, they collaborated on using Bridget's music. But, but as, as Bridget said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's also a bit about being free of our conditioning. You know, and uh, I, I believe we all have potential, uh, potential being uh, co directly connected with the creative, creative spirit of the universe. And it's only the uh, it's only the clouds of fear and doubt and guilt that are going to stop that happening. So, 
So to rising up above that is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Apart from sounding like a call to action, you just rise up and let's let's do something about the situation. But it's also uh, it's on a personal level. It's very important for us to to, to we're walking we're all walking our own path, and you can't walk someone else's path. You can only walk your path. But when but what you do, and uh, what happens with your connection with your spirit reflects as a light to other people, and it will help helps them too. So. It's all it's all rising. The whole thing is really uh, it's a really positive message. This song, so I really love it. Moving on to another song. What else? Uh, what other song comes to mind for you, Bridget? Oh, it's the uh, Waters of Gas Bay. Tell me about the Waters of Gas Bay. Well, really, I I um, wanted to pay homage to my mother and um, and uh, just my experiences growing up spending time in in uh, new brunswick she's from a town fisherman town called caracat and my mother's name happens to be jeanette millette from caracat so with that the, it's just with that rhyme scheme i i had to write a song so <laughs> so there we have the waters of gas bay and i think you know chris did a great job of capturing the east coast vibe with this song and i i, I find it very uplifting and he hasn't heard it yet, so... Oh, really? Okay, well, this will be great. He gets to hear it, and so do we. Okay, here we go. Now by the shore Then far away Where the rushing rivers meet And forge into a bay And a sailing cargo fleet Makes its way Into the quiet little town Near the waters of Gas Bay The table is set For a lavish banquet And the fishermen stay Till the end of the day The Waters of Gas Bay, Bridget Melody, another song here on Element FM from her new album. Uh, yeah, lovely, lovely. I love the way that uh, chorus comes in there. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, all right. So why don't we feature yet another piece? Is it love? Spirit Dance, the title track, mm-hmm. it is love in brackets, which, uh, you know, is the overall theme of the, the album mm. is you know, living in harmony with the spirit of love and, and the joy and the freedom that we can experience. Okay. Uh, Chris, do you have any comments on this just before we hear a bit of it? Well, it's just uh, it's just odd that I, I did it last year. I released an album by uh, the Free Spirits. Yeah. And it's been, it's interesting that uh, this album's called Spirit Dance. It's just, uh, it just shows you how much uh, in sync me and, uh, and Bridget are. You know, with, <laughs> I, just before I even met her, I was, working on this free spirits project yeah and the songs are very spiritual and yeah. uh the, and uh, then i suddenly met bump into this incredible artist this first nation <laughs> singer who's writing 
stuff you know in the, on the same wavelength as what yeah. uh, what I'm doing so right. I was uh, yes the, I mean the whole album is so resonant with uh, beauty and, and spiritual uh, light so I think it's uh, wonderful all right let's give this a bit of a listen rise up is love is How the story goes But so the way of the spirit flows Is love, is love, it is love Wind blows and the river flows So the light of the world we know dance very nice uh, very nice and we only have so much time left and i want to make sure that we also play a little bit of chris's new track to show uh, i guess maybe that similarity and that kind of a connection that you guys had so chris why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest song because it's great that you are getting a lot of action on this and and it's great to hear about precious love yeah it's kind of gone a little bit viral it's uh, 21 21- K on uh, YouTube views, which is exceptional. I've never had that many views. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a song that was uh, again put together during the, the COVID time. So I wanted uh, some some special guests on this song. So uh, Paul DeLong is a really great drummer, mm-hmm. and uh, Bill King played keyboards. Taylor Abrahams did backing vocals, and Gene Hardy played sax. So I managed to do all that as well, uh, much like Bridget's record. Uh, the the musicians played in their various places and sent right. the, the full quality sound files. So the whole track came together over the, over the web, mm. uh, but in, but with total, uh, COVID, you know, protocols. So, yeah. um, so the, so the, I wrote the song about the, my 10th anniversary of meeting my wife in Paris, my, mm. my future wife. So the song is a, it's a, it's a love song. It's a pure and simple love song. It, it doesn't have, uh, necessarily a spiritual message, except that love love is the universal force, and uh, you know, as the Beatles say, all you need is is love, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of it, it, that in itself. Uh, and you know, unconditional love is is uh, hinted at in the song because it's it, it does have some uh, spiritual overtones. So, Chris, I understand you launched this, I think, on February fourteenth, didn't you? Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, I wanted it. To, I wanted it to, the whole thing is. It should have a massive heart on it, right? Because the whole thing is a, is about love. And uh, if you listen to the lyrics on this the song, you know, saying this thing, this lines like the flowers seem to open when you pass by. You know, that's the feeling you get when you really absolutely find find very very uh, strong love. Yeah. For for another human being, but it's it's also you know we we have to learn eventually to love every everything and everybody unconditionally now then that is a really big step for us as humans to do that what what are you hearing back from people uh it's all really positive i most of the messages i'm getting back is 
but you know, people are playing it for their loved ones. And I think mm. it's actually helping to rejuvenate some, some people's relationships because, you know, it's been a lot of strain during mm. the, this, these uh, lockdown times. Yeah. Some people have like, you know, realize they don't actually like each other. <laughs> so they, had to, <laughs> they actually had to spend time together, which normally they weren't, you know. So, I mean, there's there's a prolifer- proliferation of uh, divorces, but there's also a proliferation of babies. So it's working mm. both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I, think, uh, I think the lockdown time has been really useful for us in terms of reflection of what who we are and what we really want, you know. And, uh, and I think Precious Love has just somehow managed to hit itself into that into that little niche of energy and it's help, helping people to you know it's, it's a, the time the timing of the song was, i think was really good that's probably explains why it's getting so much um exposure well you mentioned about the stress during this covid19 time when we're all during lockdowns we do hear about the mental stress going on in the world in everyone's yeah. lives do you think that this is is giving people a bit of relief from all that and bringing some joy back into their lives yeah we're hearing so much so much about covid you know it's almost almost reluctant to talk about it because it's everybody's it's, on, you know, it's, the, it's the in word on everybody's lips, right? Mm. But, but it's uh, the, every stick has two ends, or every coin has two faces. Now, the, the 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 negative of COVID has been the destruction of the social system, the temporary destruction of social system, and and but and also what I said about people being thrown together and realizing they've probably not got the right partner. But that's not a bad thing, and, you know. If you have to move on uh, for better peace and happy kind of life that's mm. that's cool uh, the the positive the, the the other end of the stick is that it's been time for people to reflect i i personally have benefited tremendously from the lockdown because i've a i've been able to really focus on music like bridget's album mm. you know without being distracted by a million and one things but i've mm-hmm. also written a, a lot of music i've got a lot of uh, music which is just itching to come out now because of it's all been composed during these times so so i think anybody creative has actually uh probably benefited from the the lockdowns right okay well let's give us a little bit of a listen this is a precious love by chris burkett it's been a pleasure to have both chris burkett and bridget melody on the show talking about her new cd which by the way was produced by chris burkett and i want to wish you guys all the best and all the uh, luck with your projects. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to go about by listening to Precious Love by Chris Burkett. Thanks so much, David. Yeah, and, uh, I just want to say one thing. Have we got time? Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, there's a guy called David Moses that writes fantastic uh, songs too. Okay. And I can't wait for you to all to hear them because we've done some work together. So I just want to put that in there. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Take care. But I don't know that I have heard of perfection I believe they broke the mold that made you A miracle took place with your conception This miracle 
And that is Moment of Truth for today. I want to thank my guests, Bridget Melody and Chris Burkett, for coming in and spinning tunes off her new album, Spirit Dance, as well as Chris's latest song, Precious Love. I'm David Moses. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.